Hi, St James, and welcome to our Bible readings and sermon this morning. Uh, our first reading is from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and it's verses 6 to uh, the end, which is 15. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. Uh, Paul wrote, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. When we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from Mark chapter 9 and it's verses uh, 2 to 13. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's pray and ask God to help us as we come to look at his word together. Father God, thank you for your many gifts to us and the gift of your word and the gift of your Holy Spirit to uh, guide us into truth. We pray that you would fill us now uh, and lead us as we try to understand what you are saying. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, this is our fourth Sunday uh, looking at uh, the theme of giving. Um, we do this every year. Uh, you've had 
sermons from uh, Paul, our church warden, Joy, our other church warden, and Robert, our treasurer, uh, looking at a variety of things from the New Testament, but mostly looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Uh, and that's where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth for the second time. Uh, and he's preparing them uh, because he is on his way to them to pick up a gift uh, that will, a financial gift is coming to pick up their money to go and feed uh, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who are undergoing a severe famine uh, and, and who need this uh, in order to survive. Now, uh, this is, uh, it talks about a, a phrase that we know from Proverbs. Uh, those who, uh, hang on, let me read it so that I don't misquote it. Uh, Paul says, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now, spring is nearly here. Um, I say that every year, Reverend Ali and I have a uh, discussion because when she grew up in Ireland, received wisdom was that spring began on St Bridget's Day, which is the 1st of February. Uh, and so for, for her, February, we are in spring now. I have for 20 odd years continued just to say, open the door, feel outside. If we get snow, it's coming in February. We may still have snow this month, but we are nearly in spring. Uh, when we get to March uh, and St David's Day, for me, that I feel like we're there. Even if winter kind of fights on, it's like spring's here. And of course, with spring, you get new growth, new life. Uh, and of course, then uh, we get shoots. First, the snowdrops, the crocuses, the daffodils are out now. Bulbs start growing. Uh, and one of the things I love about St. James uh, is the number of people who grow things uh, and then turn up at church with uh, with lemon curd, with different types of jam, with uh, with ginger beer, with all sorts of, of good things that come from what's grown in their gardens. And so I think, oh, excellent. We can eat what's grown in our garden. That'd be fantastic. There is a slight problem. Uh, and that would be that I haven't planted anything in my garden. So whilst I would love to eat uh, fresh vegetables, lettuce, uh, cucumbers, tomatoes, all those good things that you can grow in your gardens, uh, the harvest in the vicarage garden will be, well, zero. Because I have put nothing into it this last winter uh, for a variety of reasons. But it means now that I will eat nothing from the garden. And I can't blame the garden, can I? There is nothing to blame, no one to blame, uh, except myself. That's that's entirely me and my decisions. And so we're talking about giving. Churches are always talking about money uh, because money is what makes things happen. And so obviously this sermon, then we get to this idea about um, sowing generously and reaping generously and the fact that if you uh, if you give to the church then god will bless you i just think actually let's just let's take a step back from thinking about giving to the church uh, although that is what uh, paul is talking to the corinthians about this is in the context of uh, financial giving for them 
but actually have a think about uh, your standard week. And then think about what seeds you sow. You know, we talk about what, what money we give, and there's that financial element. It's like, what do you give money to? But actually, there's loads more to it than that. It's like, where do we spend our time? Where do we spend uh, our kindness, our energy? Now, you may, I, I've not played a lot of music at St. James. Um, I've always loved the idea uh, of being a, a jazz pianist. Uh, I grew up having to learn the piano and um, I had lessons and they were paid for. So I was going to go and every week it was just about how much practice I had to do in order to get through the lesson without being shouted at. Uh, and I, I would literally do the bare minimum. Um, and you would find that I'd have the lesson on a Tuesday. I would do no practice until the weekend, at which point I suddenly realised how close it was to, to Tuesday and I might do something on Sunday. Then on Monday, I'd panic and I'd try to do as much practice as I could on Monday. Well, I'd, I'd do some practice on the Monday and, and go to my lesson on the Tuesday. And then having got through the lesson, like, oh, thank goodness for that. And then I would not practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then, oh no, I've got a lesson on Tuesday. And start trying to practice ready for my lesson. Um, the net effect of that was that I didn't make very quick progress. I made some progress because I did some practice. But I remember being outraged when I met people who had been playing their instruments for a lot less than I had. And they were so much better. And of course, you know, people talk about 10,000 hours, this, this research that was done about how much do you have to do something to become expert in it? And someone has magicked up this number of 10,000 hours. If you do something for 10,000 hours, that's when you become expert at it. Um, I, I did not do 10,000 hours of piano practice. Uh, hence, I'm not expert at the piano. But you can see a clear cause and effect between how much time you invest uh, in a hobby, in a skill, and the achievements at the end, the results, what, what, you, what you get to, what you're able to do at the end of it. That's, that's fairly straightforward. Um, for our teenagers, um, we know that as, as exams approach, there is always that conversation about, well, if you want a good result, you'll need to revise. You have to put the effort in, in order to get the grades out that you want to get. Uh, we would never say to someone, oh, it's fine, just wing it. Wing it, you'll be absolutely fine. Um, I can remember my approach to school was mostly about having a good memory and doing the bare minimum that I needed to get by. Uh, and I remember the shock uh, of moving into studying for A-levels and realising that actually the, the bare minimum was no longer enough. <laughs> my grades, my ability to keep up with the class just plummeted because a good memory wasn't enough. Doing a little bit of work wasn't enough. Actually, if I wanted the grades, I was going to have to work for them. Um, that didn't come very naturally to my teenage self. 
similarly, let's take something else. Uh, let's look at relationships and friendships. Um, you know, all of us value our friends. We appreciate our friends. And yet, actually, a friendship requires effort. We need to stay in touch. We need to remember birthdays. Uh, think about what the person might appreciate uh, at Christmas. We need to make sure we spend time with them. Otherwise, we just drift apart. Um, it is harder uh, for, at various points in our life. It's harder to keep hold of friends. It's harder to give that time. Um, but also sometimes it's down to us. It's down to our own choices and what we do. Uh, and there are friends of mine that I don't see so much. Um, there was one friend where we were due to go and visit and we had to cancel for whatever reason. And then it was summer holidays, so they went on holiday, we went on holiday. And then come September, I was thinking, oh, I should get in touch with them. But it felt a bit awkward, so I did something else. Uh, and the next week I thought, oh, I really should get in touch with them. But I still felt a bit guilty about we hadn't gone out to dinner, we need to have a conversation about why we couldn't make it. And apologize. So I didn't get in touch. And at the same time, at my friend's end, he was thinking, oh, that's Steve, He's, he never gets in touch with me. It's not, we've not heard from him all summer. Oh, I'm not phoning him. And we kept that up for almost a year of, the, of not texting or phoning like we normally, not seeing each other, because it's like, well, I, 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 it feels awkward. And that meant our relationship stalled. Our friendship stopped until actually, um, I can't even remember what prompted me to do it, but I, I got in touch and said, hi, miss you. Um, can we meet up? And, and it was a slightly awkward conversation about how we'd left it so long and about that missed meal that had caused us to feel a bit awkward in the first place. But actually then we got past it because we, we were friends. And then we could spend time together again. And it, it was lovely to have my friend back, to have someone to go and see and go and spend time with. But that's a direct consequence of, uh, of our actions. If I hadn't phoned him, maybe we'd never have spoken. And I mean, that would have been sad. But if then down the line you'd heard me complain, it's like, oh, uh, I don't have any friends there's no one, no one I can go spend time with, no one I can do stuff with, then people who know would have every right to say, yeah, but Steve, what have you done that you would have friends, that you've got relationships uh, that are alive, that are vibrant, that are, uh, that are ongoing? You can look at a situation and say, so what have you done? And that, it was a consequence of my own action, my own inaction. Now, uh, Paul is very clear, if you reap, if you sow generously, then you reap generously. If you give time to other people, then you have uh, those relationships are alive, they're vibrant, there's uh, the chance for friendships. At the same time, if you try and keep up 500 friendships simultaneously and spread yourself too thin and, and see everyone just, just that tiny little bit, Again, you're, you're sowing, well, I don't know, you'll reap burnout. <laughs> you'll reap 
shallow friendships. But again, you can look at the consequences of the actions. You can see how cause leads to effect. And so Paul is writing and saying, this is cause and effect. Now, the difficulty that um, I have as a British man is that I've been brought up to be self-reliant. I've been brought up uh, in a nation that's lucky enough to have the welfare state. So that if someone is in trouble, then well, the government will help them. Actually, my responsibility, my parents taught me, was to my immediate family, um, to care for them, to provide for them, to make sure they never went without. And my parents provided for me. And I'm grateful to them for that. But there wasn't the same sense that that charity went anywhere else. There might be a certain number of, of charities that you'd have a connection with. Um, you, some of you might remember that at my mother's funeral, um, the request was not for flowers, but for donations to, to Water Aid, Christian Aid, uh, and the uh, Leprosy Mission, which were three charities that she always supported. But it's, it's that, th for me, I've had to... I, I picked up from my parents more the importance of, of not going short, not wasting money, uh, and making sure that you had everything in place uh, before um, before you did anything uh, rash, before you did anything for other people, you looked after yourself first. Um, I always laugh with Ali because if you know the board game Monopoly, where you go around the board and you buy, you land on places in London, uh, and you can buy those places and build houses and hotels on them. And um, we played that growing up, so did Ali. But Ali's family used the game to teach her about financial management. So Ali would play that game, and if she landed on something, she wouldn't automatically buy it. Kind of, oh, do I have enough money to cope with the financial pitfalls that might come around the board? What would happen if I go to jail? What would I happen? I've got to say, I'm quite competitive with games. It's like, oh, bye, 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 and then bankrupt. And that's Ali's parents taught her. No, no, Monopoly is about budgeting, and it's about uh, making sure that you always have enough for what's going to happen. And um, I understand why they do it. They were parents teaching their daughters um, financial sense, but it still makes me laugh because we play it as a board game, and she's very careful. And I'll buy everything. And if I don't go bankrupt, then I've built hotels and I bankrupt her. Our games are very short. But um, again, it's that thing about we're brought up to be careful. We're brought up to make sure that uh, we have control over our money. Now, there's a difficulty there because God says that God is in control of our money. God has promised to provide for us and everything in heaven and on earth belongs to God. So therefore, however careful we are, however much we plan, there's illness. Uh, there's, well, sometimes there's, there's theft. There's awful things that happen to us. Um, the vicarage, you know, the, the, the garage broke, burned down uh, in Diwali two years ago. Life happens. Uh, when I was chair of governors at the 
primary school, one of the teachers was coming up to retirement and had all sorts of things planned uh, to go travelling around the world uh, with her husband. And uh, they'd saved money, they'd got their pension, and they had fantastic plans. And three months before she retired, her husband suffered a, a major stroke and actually couldn't move. So he became bedridden and she retired to be his carer. Now, that's not cause and effect. That's life. That's the fact that we don't have guarantees, however careful we are, of what life will be like and what will happen. And so our Corinthians reading is an invitation to be part of something bigger, an invitation to be um, in God's world and to let God have control. So we give to other people, trusting that God will give us what we need, that we won't go short. In fact, uh, you have this um, lovely passage, verse 7 and 8. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So therefore you've got God's intention isn't that we scrape by, that we live on um, dry bread and water uh, and have no fun in our lives. God's intention is that we have more than enough so that we are able to share with other people. Because as we share with other people, we form community. We become a family. We develop relationships where we bless others and others bless us in turn. There have been times um, while we've been at St. James uh, that we have given to uh, different individual needs, different situations. And there have been times when people have given to us. Uh, people have posted envelopes through doors that have come at wonderful moments when we were short of money and not sure what to do and suddenly we had it. And that, that came from St. James and just gave us so much joy, actually, that where we couldn't see a way we could make things work for ourselves, God stepped in through his people and gave us what we needed. And as a result, there's joy when we give to other people because we see other people kind of going, but, but, but I didn't think I could manage I was like, well, you don't have to. God blesses you. God gives you what you need. And to be able to share that, to share that joy in what other people have, is, is beautiful. Now, this is about giving at church. That's what this series is about. Every year we talk about the fact that giving is one of the Christian disciplines. Um, and actually I was reading the other day about the Crusades. And in the Crusades they wanted more people as they marched from Europe towards Jerusalem. They needed the extra fighters. They hired mercenaries. But of course this was a Christian fight. So everyone fighting needs to be Christian. So these mercenaries that they signed up and paid to come fight with them, <coughs> they insisted... You mercenaries, you're going to have to get baptised. 
And so these mercenaries were taken to a river and they were dunked. But the story says these mercenaries held onto their swords and lifted them out of the water. And their heads went under the water, but they kept their sword arm and their sword out of the water. So God cleaned everything from here down, but their sword arm and their sword were not baptised. They held that back because they knew they were going to go and kill and they were going to um, do things that weren't Christian. And so they, they didn't let their sword arm be baptised. Now that's that's an Im image of us as we come to faith, as we uh, are baptised as Christians. Sometimes there's a temptation to take part of our life and just hold it out of the water. Whether that be our money, whether that be our career, whether that be our relationships, um, it doesn't matter. God calls all of us. There is nothing meant to be held separate, held back. God wants the whole of our lives because he has made all of us. And he knows that freedom only comes when we give him everything and trust him uh, to supply our different needs. Now, you know, we're talking about uh, church giving. And um, obviously when we talk about giving in church, we're not just talking about money. But we're talking about people's time. We're talking about people's energy. Those people who teach English uh, for free in the week are giving their time and their energy. Uh, those people who go for healing on the streets, giving up their Saturday, uh, giving up their body heat in some of the cold weather they've been out and endured. But that that is giving. It's sacrificial giving. All of us, um, when we see need around us, well, we have a choice. Do we respond to it? Do we hold on to things? And God says, give generously. Now, the other interesting part here is he says, um, decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or response to pressure. So I think the suggestion is we all know that sense of being faced with a, a big issue seller uh, or someone coming and knocking the door and asking for something. And you kind of pat your pockets and think, oh, I, I don't. Or growing up, it was the collection plate coming around uh, and thinking, oh, did I pack anything? Oh, what have I got? And um, my dad always passed me uh, a bit of change to put in the bag so I could put something in. I think about 20p. It made no difference to the church finances uh, where I grew up. But that sense of, oh, right, it's someone, someone needs something from me. Oh, this is embarrassing. What have I got? What do I have to give? Ah, oh, that'll be enough. That'll that'll get me out of this situation. And frankly, the world is getting better and better at putting us under pressure to give, catching us, tugging at our heartstrings with different adverts, whatever it is, but making sure that they wring whatever they need out of us because that's that's how they're able to function. That's what that's what they need to do. But God's saying. Don't, don't give under pressure. Actually stop and think about it. 
Look at your ingoings and outgoings. Look at what comes in each month and make a choice. What do you want to give? That's why we encourage planned giving either by the envelopes or by standing order. The standing order means the church knows what money is coming in each month. That makes settling bills that much easier. But it also means for those of us who give by standing order, we don't need to think about it. For me, the issue is just every year to look at, okay, how much, what's my give, has my salary gone up? Um, Am I still giving the amount I want to give? Do I need to adjust it? Whatever. But on the first of each month, my salary comes in, my giving to St. James goes out, and I haven't got to see it go. There's no sense of holding it and kind of going, oh, I could do th- I could do something with it. It's just gone. And so it's not about the specific act of giving each month. It's about a decision. It's something that's planned. It's something that's thoughtful. And it is part of my Christian service to God. That money is God's. He can do with it what he likes. Now, the difficulty with that is when money is tight. And throughout my life, I've had times when money's been okay and times when money's been tight. I've kept the same principle that I give in a planned way. I give at the start of the month when um, when I have the money. And then at the end of the month, sometimes I'm just praying and saying, God help me. And I have to be honest, that's hard. But I now have stories of when God's met our needs, of when things have been provided for us in a way that I couldn't have managed. And I know that God loves me, that God provides for me. I trust him. And it's it's, it's been kind of odd talking through with the my own children that you have to manage your money you have to think about what you're spending this is this is how we do a shop and all the rest of it in the context of at the end of the day god looks after us but i don't want my kids to go spending money this that and the other um they don't need that many sweets no you don't need to go and buy what whatever it is uh, the latest thing is a, a soft toy in the shape of something from the latest Marvel film. Um, don't ask. But something, so I'm there almost teaching as my dad taught me. It's like, oh, be careful with your money. Um, only spend on what you need to spend. And I've had to stop myself a couple of times to go, do you know what, girls? We are careful with our money. But we've never gone hungry, have we? God has given us what we needed. And then God's gone, yeah, OK, that's true. And it's been an important part of our life together, our shared life as a family, that we can talk about what we have and where we place it, where we invest it, where we sow it. Not that we get blessed back, but that that we're part of what God is doing, part of his kingdom, His his blessing of other people. And Paul says in this letter that what will happen when you give this money to the people in Jerusalem, they'll praise God and they will pray for you. They'll give thanks for you. So God, we pray glory will be given to God. Fantastic. That's what we're about, people. Now, 
we don't have the Corinthians response. Um, but Paul's clear. It's like good things will happen. Not necessarily for you. But God will provide for you down the line. For now, just generously giving what God is doing. And our gospel reading, the transfiguration, just a, a, an absolutely crazy thing. Where Peter, James and John, who have left everything to follow Jesus, they go up with him up a mountain and suddenly they see Jesus as God. In dazzling clothes, talking to two of the major figures from their their own history, Moses and Elijah. And Peter doesn't know what to think, doesn't want to say, doesn't know what to do. They get to see God. That's not why they gave up everything to follow Jesus. They chose to follow Jesus because they saw something worth following. But having given everything up, they got to see God. So for us as a church, with the world around us so harsh and crazy, and we are praying today for the Ukraine. Uh, I'll, I'll share in the notice sheet and other places what, what we've been asked to do. Uh, and part of our Ash Wednesday prayers will be fasting and praying for the Ukraine. But that's just part of, we can't fix that out of our own resources, can we? All we can do is give generously, give thoughtfully and trust in God. Trust God to protect the people of Ukraine. Trust God to raise up people who can find solutions. Who can turn the hearts of those who are fighting against violence. Today's readings, they're about giving. But not about twisting your arm. It's an invitation. An invitation to join in with what God is doing. To give gently to others in a way that's thought out, that's planned, that's prepared. So that other people are blessed. And that we are part of God's promises. Of delivering blessing to others and blessing us. As we have need because we've given to other people. People often say that you can't receive from God if you keep your hands shut. As we open our hands, God can pour in his blessing, his joy, his peace. So let's offer to him all that he has given to us. Let's pray. All, all powerful God all-loving God. We thank you for your gifts to us. Thank you for your love for us. Everything we have comes from you. And so we invite you to give us wisdom in our giving, our giving of our time, our giving of our money, our giving of our attention, that we would Sow those things into your kingdom, into what you are doing, that we might see a harvest of, uh, of righteousness, a harvest of joy, a harvest of peace. So 
sort of we, we acknowledge that it is hard in our culture with our traditions and our upbringings to let go of control over our own time, our own finances. So we ask for your grace to build up our faith and to enable us to be generous and share in your mission here on earth. Lord Jesus, we ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Uh, thank you very much for watching, for staying with me, uh, and I hopefully will see you some point in the week. Uh, please do come uh, on Ash Wednesday. If you normally come Wednesday morning, Reverend Julia Jagannath is taking our BCP service, which is fantastic. So pleased. Um, and in the evening, I'll be leading an Ash Wednesday service uh, and prayer meeting, uh, both for Ukraine and for what God is doing in and around Alberton. So if you can, I would love to see you there. God bless. Bye bye.